Uh, what we have in the, in the Gospels is not four different stories, but rather uh, one Gospel story told from the perspective of four witnesses. Uh, so you've got Matthew and John who were, uh, well, they were eyewitnesses. They were disciples of, of Jesus. And then you've got Mark, uh, who got his, who got the, the story from Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus. And then Luke, he investigated uh, these things and, and talked to uh, those who were eyewitnesses so that he could give an accurate account. Uh, so that each gospel offers a, uh, a necessary perspective and witness to uh, the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that being said, uh, you, you may notice in your Bibles uh, that the, the Gospel of John is anonymous in the sense that uh, John isn't explicitly listed as the author in the text, which, which isn't surprising. Uh, ancient works were, uh, were often written synonymously because they would have initially circulated among uh, friends and, and uh, acquaintances. Uh, it wouldn't have been until uh, later that authorship uh, would have been added to, to copies for, uh, for less familiar readers, which seems to be the case with the Gospel of John. Uh, five times in this Gospel we find the unusual words, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. For example, in, in John chapter 21, verse 20, it says that Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And then a few verses later in, in John 21, verse 24, it says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And, and so we can know that the one called the disciple whom Jesus loved wrote this book, which... Uh, that title, The Disciple Whom Jesus Loved, would have been familiar to the original uh, audience. Uh, but from the, as early as the second century, the author of this gospel has been identified as the Apostle John, the son of Zebedee. But what was John's purpose in writing this account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ? Well, I, I ask you to Turn to John chapter 1, but if you keep your finger in John 1 and then turn over to, to John chapter 20, John chapter 20, you see a kind of purpose statement of the gospel of John. In John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, we read, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So throughout John's gospel, uh, we're, we're going to encounter a, a series of signs. Uh, John mentioned it there in, in those verses, a series of signs that Jesus does. Uh, John doesn't include all of the signs of, of Jesus. That would, that would take up uh, way, way too much text. He only includes seven of them. Uh, but the reason for these signs is so that we may believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that you may believe, hence the, the title there. Now contrast this purpose statement with another purpose statement that John gives. Uh, at the end of his first letter in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, we read, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, while there are certainly many similarities between the Gospel of John and 1 John, we'll see that as we kind of move through the, the, the book, uh, they differ in their purpose. 1 John is, is written to those who have already believed, while the Gospel of John is written so that we might believe. Now, most of us, maybe even all of us, have already believed in Jesus. So you may be wondering why we're going through a book of the Bible whose purpose is that we might believe. But we must not get it in our heads that this book is only for unbelievers. Certainly, the, the Gospel of John um, has, has been used often uh, as an evangelistic tool for unbelievers because of its simplicity in uh, explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, but believers in Jesus must continue to believe in Jesus Christ. You know, it's not a, you know, a, I prayed a prayer once and, and so I'm, you know, now good to go. We must continue to believe uh, John 15, verse 6, Jesus says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the furnace, and burned. So the, the gospel of John is intended to certainly awaken faith in unbelievers, but it is also to sustain faith in the believer, so as to lead both to eternal life. There is perhaps no better book in the Bible that God has used to open the eyes of unbelievers while simultaneously expanding our concept of the greatness of Christ. Each time we return to this gospel, Christ becomes a little bit bigger. Uh, in C.S. Lewis's book, Prince Caspian, uh, Lucy gazes into the face of the lion Aslan, who is the, uh, the Christ symbol in uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. And, and she says, Aslan, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And so my hope is that as we work our way through the wonders of this book, we will find Christ bigger and bigger and bigger. <coughs> With that as our foundation, uh, let us look now at, at John chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to read the, the first 18 verses. Uh, this section is called the, the prologue of uh, John 1. Uh, but we're only going to spend our, our time together this morning looking at the first 
three verses, but it's good to have that context. Uh, follow with me as I read for us John 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came witness, came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, <clears throat> who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, <clears throat> and glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he <coughs> of whom I said, He who comes. Oh, thanks. <laughs> now I'm well stopped. He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The beginnings of books are important. The beginning gives you the information you need to understand the rest of the book. If I were to give you the opening lines of some famous novels, you could probably guess them immediately. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. That, of course, is a tale of two cities. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a great fortune must be in want of a wife. Helena got this one immediately. That's Pride and Prejudice. Call me Ishmael. That's Herman Melville's Moby Dick. It was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. That's George, or <coughs> <coughs> George Orwell's book, 1984. This one I got. Once there were four children, whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. This story is about something that happened to them when they were sent away from London during the war because of the air raids. That, of course, is the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Similarly, 
First century Jews, hearing the opening words of the Gospel of John for the first time, would have heard the words, in the beginning, would have immediately said what? Oh, that's Genesis. If you remember from our sermon series in Genesis, how does the book of Genesis begin? <coughs> Excuse me. It begins with the words, Bereshit bara Elohim et Hashemim the et Haeretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just as the words a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away remind us of Star Wars, so also the words in the beginning ought to remind us of Genesis. And what's the first thing we learn about God in Genesis? Well, we learn that God is eternally pre-existent. There was never a time when God was not. In the beginning, God was. <clears throat> Before we are introduced to God as creator, we are introduced to the God who always is, always was, and always will be. At the beginning of time, there was God. But in John 1, verse 1, John doesn't begin with, in the beginning, God. No, he begins with, anarche and hologos. In the beginning was the word. It deliberately follows the same structure as Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, except that John introduces us not to the eternally pre-existent God, but to the eternally pre-existent word. <clears throat> but who is the word? John doesn't leave us in suspense for too long. In verse 14, he tells us, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word is none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is, after all, a book about the life and ministry of Jesus. John <coughs> is going to write about all that he saw Jesus do and all that he heard Jesus say. But he doesn't want his readers to be unclear about who Jesus is. So he tells us right off the bat, in the beginning was the Word. Right? The, the man that you're going to see at the wedding in Cana the, the man that you're going to see at the well in Samaria, the man that you're going to see crucified at Golgotha is none other than the eternally preexistent word. Now, when John uses the word beginning, is he saying that the word, that, that Jesus Christ had a beginning? <clears throat> That's typically what we think of. When we hear the word beginning, right, we think of origin, right? I had a beginning. You had a beginning. The world had a beginning. But did the word, did Jesus Christ have a beginning? No. In the beginning was the word. John isn't saying that the word had a beginning. He's saying that when you and I had our beginning and when the heavens and the earth had their beginning, the word was already there. The word was already in existence 
in the beginning. But where, you might ask, where was the word in the beginning? If the word existed before the creation of the world, then where was the word? Ah, Genesis 1 verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. Psalm 33 verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Speaking of Christ, the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 1, verses 15 to 17. <clears throat> he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What a glorious picture of Christ. And so whatever you can say about the eternal preexistence of God, you can say about the word. There, there was never a time when the word was not. The word always is, always was, and always will be. At the beginning of time, there was the word. Now, why does John choose to call Jesus Christ the Word? You know, why, why not just say, in the beginning was Jesus Christ? Right? Well, why Word? <clears throat> it's because John had come to see Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as the final and decisive message of God to the world. In his living, in his teaching, in his healing, in his dying, in his rising, Jesus embodied the truth of God. Jesus came to bear witness to the truth, John 18, verse 37. In fact, Jesus was the truth, John 14, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, God spoke to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. <coughs> in Revelation 19, verse 13, John describes the, the glorious return of Christ in this way. He is clothed in a robe dipped with blood, and the name by which he is called is, can you guess? The Word of God. Jesus Christ is not simply the Word of God in the past. He is the Word of God forever. Hebrews 13, verse 8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the final ultimate, decisive, reliable, and absolutely true word. But John doesn't stop there. Not only does John introduce us to the eternally preexistent word, but he also introduces us to the word's eternal relationship with God. John continues in verse 1, Kaihologos and pros tontheon. And the word was with 
God. The preposition with gives the sense of nearness. Within the Trinity, there has always existed the deepest intimacy. God and the Word, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, are not only eternally preexistent, but they are eternally in relationship. Right? Now, this is important. In the first verse of his gospel, John is introducing us to two of the three distinct persons in the Trinity. <coughs> we'll see the Holy Spirit later on in the Gospel of John. But here, here John mentions God and the Word. Now keep in mind John's original audience. Right? They, they were Jews who were steeped in monotheism the belief that there is one God, right? Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But now you're telling me that in the beginning there was, there was God, but there was also the word. How does that work? Well, there have been a number of, of bad ways of explaining this over the years. In the first few hundred years of Christianity, there was a heresy, a, a false teaching going around called modalism. And modalism said that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are just three different forms or three different modes of God. You can hear it in the word, mode, modalism, three different forms, three different modes of God, like how water can be found in three different forms or modes Liquid, solid, vapor. Is that what we're seeing here in, in John chapter 1, verse 1? Is the word simply a form or a mode of God? No. According to John, God and the word are distinct persons. Verse 2 says that the word was in the beginning with God. We're not looking at three separate gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're, we're not polytheists. We worship one God, but within that one God, there is plurality. There is oneness, but within that oneness, there is more than one. Now, where we need to be careful because a lot of heresies, a lot of false teachings have, have come by falling off the precipice. But in the words of the Athanasian Creed, I think this sums it up, we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither confounding their persons nor dividing the essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity... You might say the, the godness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Very carefully constructed sentences there. But at, at the root of it, John wants us to know that before the creation of the world, before any matter came into existence, the word, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was in relationship with God. 
with the Father. But then John takes it a step further. Not only was the word eternally preexistent, and not only was the word in eternal relationship with God, but the, the, the word was also eternally God. Kaitheos and Hologos, the word was God. Now, why does that matter? Well, it matters because around the same time that modalism was going around, there was another heresy, another false teaching going around called Arianism. And Arianism said that uh, the word, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was a creation of the Father and was therefore not one in nature with him. Like how light and heat are creations of the star, but are not the star itself. There are those who have mistranslated John 1 verse 1 to read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. They believe that the Word was a lesser being than God, a kind of demigod. Yeah, God created before creating everything else. Is that what John is saying in John 1, verse 1? Is the word simply a God amongst the pantheon of gods? And again, the answer is no. John is clear that what God was, the word was also. The word was God. The word shares the same nature, the same essence of God. The word who became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was and is God. Three persons. One God. This truth is what distinguishes the true Christian faith from all world religions and cults. Beginnings of books are important. Here in the beginning of, of his gospel, John is stating very carefully and very deliberately that Jesus Christ, though we haven't met him yet in the gospel, is eternally preexistent, that he, he is in eternal relationship with the Father, and that he is eternally God. What a picture of Christ. But then John gives us one more portrait of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Lastly, John says that Jesus Christ is the eternal creator of the universe. Again, going back to that. A glorious passage in, in Colossians 1, Colossians 1, verse 16. It says, all things were created through him and for him. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. says, there is one God, the Father, from whom, all, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. There are about a hundred billion stars 
in the average galaxy. And there are at least 100 million galaxies in known space. Einstein uh, believed that we have scanned with our largest telescopes only one billionth of theoretical space. This means that there are probably something like 10 octillion stars in space. Now, if you're wondering how much an octillion is, one thousand thousands, so a thousand thousands is a million. A thousand millions is a billion. A thousand billions is a trillion. A thousand trillions is a quadrillion. <coughs> a thousand quadrillions is one quint quintillion. My math doesn't even comprehend all of this. Um, a thousand quintillions is one sextillion. A thousand sextillions is one septillion. A thousand septillions is one octillion. Any science teachers? Did I get it right? Or math teachers? Am I, am I on track? So, so 10 octillion is 10, the number 10, with 27 zeros behind it. That's potentially how many stars are in space, and Jesus Christ created them all. So, so we see the word Jesus Christ is eternally preexistent, eternally in relationship with the Father, eternally God, and eternally creator. What a glorious picture of Christ right from the very beginning. Now, now I understand that this is a lot to take in, right? To, to think that the preexistent word who is distinct from God and yet fully God became flesh and dwelt among us, that, that the creator of all things would become creation, that he would be hungry like one of us, that he would sleep like one of us, that he would die like one of us, but, but that he would also rise again and reign at the Father's right hand, and that he is one day coming again to take us to be with him forever. Right? It's too much wonder for us to comprehend. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly. That's kind of what it feels like. We can't quite, it's foggy. We can't quite see. We're seeing little, little glimpses of the glory and majesty of Christ, but it's, it's still, still dim. And, but then, then face to face, right? Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And I, I'm, I'm often struck by the, the song, I Can Only Imagine. You know, what will I do when I am in the presence of such glory? There, there is a sense in which we shouldn't be surprised that all of this remains a mystery to us. Right? There is a sense in which these truths can only be understood through faith. But whatever you do, don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. Right? This is not useless head knowledge. 
right? Through these glorious truths, John is calling us to marvel at the majesty, the splendor, the, the, the wonder of Christ, and, and to, to confess with Thomas in, in John 20, verse 28, my Lord and my God. Right? And if we haven't already done so, to, to put our trust in this word that was from the, the very beginning, this word who was with God and, and yet who was God, this word through whom all things were created. Have we done that? Have we put our trust in this word? In, in verse 18, John closes the prologue by saying, no one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. What, what's, he, what's he saying here? He's saying, do, do you want to know what God is like? God is like Jesus. God is like Jesus Christ. As we enter into fellowship with Jesus Christ, we are experiencing something of the fellowship that has existed between God the Father and God the Son from all eternity. Throughout this series, we are going to, to spend week after week getting to know God as we get to know Jesus. And, and as Aslan said to Lucy, every year you grow, you will find me bigger. So may our view of God get bigger and may the Lord help us to worship him in response. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gospel story, a story like no other. A story that didn't simply begin in a manger 2,000 years ago, but before there was even a beginning God, as, as we make our way through this book in the coming weeks, in the coming months, uh, we pray uh, that you will teach us things that we do not know. Uh, that you will kindle in us not only a, a, a love, but a worship and a wonder for the word became flesh, true God, true man, the word who, who was with God and the word who is God. We commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.